interesting that when we talk about DNA, it's the fabric. It is, it's, it's physically, genetically, it's who we are. And, and I'm not a science person, and that's probably obvious. But um, I do know this, and do remember this from, from school and from studying, that DNA, that that, that helix, that that strand is, is, is woven together. And how interesting that thousands of years before we would have the ability to look and find and discover DNA and even call it DNA and genetics and all this sort of thing, that God would say that we were woven together, we were knit together in our mother's womb. Amazing. The last several weeks, we've been talking about our corporate DNA, the DNA of Banner Christian Fellowship. What makes us who we are? What do we value? And it's good to talk about this, and it's good to remind ourselves of this, and it's good to to encourage and to push us along in the things that we value. It's a good reminder. Because you see, as a community, as a group of believers, we are going to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and we're going to grow in our faith together. We believe that. We believe that that growth happens together. Some of the things that we've talked about in terms of our DNA and our values, we talked about hospitality. The hospitality is a practical expression of loving one another. That hospitality is at the very heart of God. A gracious and loving God extending and welcoming grace. And so we practice hospitality. We call it practicing because we're not perfect at it. We don't perfect hospitality. We're practicing it. We're trying to get better. We're going to fail. People will come in here and they will leave because they will feel that we were not hospitable. And it grieves us. We also looked at community and that community is made up of many things and several elements. It's, it's a group of people that are unified, that focus on Jesus and that serve. And as a body of believers, we want to be about community. Not community for community's sake, but a community that is focused on Jesus and service. Last week, we partook of communion. Another part of our community and another thing that we as a body of believers value. Because Jesus said, as often as you're together, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did, who I am, and who you are because of that. This week, we look at another element, another value that's part of the DNA of our church. It's the word evangelism. Here from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read again from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Reading from the NIV. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake 
of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore so that he could be heard. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for your catch. I know you've been working. I know you've cleaned everything up. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that the boats themselves actually began to sink. When Simon Peter fell on this, he, he fell at, at Jesus' knees and he said, Get, Go away from me, Lord. I, I am a sinful man. You see, he was face to face with a holy God. And in that moment, he knew it. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the, of the fish. And, and so were James and John, the, son, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and followed him. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had one of those experiences, you know, one of these amazing, wonderful experiences where you come to some kind of fresh or new understanding about something and, and you want to share it with, in, with somebody? Yeah, have you ever read an amazing book and you, and you just you buy like 10 copies of that book because you want to give it away? Or you see that show on Netflix that you stay up for 37 hours straight watching, just plowing through it? Maybe not. Of course you have. Maybe it was sharing how you learned, you know, this great recipe for a tomato pie. And you want to share it. I'll take some. Maybe, maybe it was this trip in the, the California Redwoods that you saw on vacation and how you, you just can't, photos just do no justice. Maybe it's the first day in a new school or a new job. Maybe it's a painting. Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's a concert. Maybe it's a meme, a podcast. But I think whatever it may be, I think that we would all agree that whenever we come upon something intriguing or interesting or something that's important to us, we find a way to tell somebody. We find a way. We find a way to sit somebody down, even though they don't want to, and show them that YouTube video because of that cat because, darn it, it's funny. And they need a laugh. We find a way to get the word out. As believers, as Christians, this is, this is of the gravest importance when it comes to our faith. 
We believe that, that what God did in sending his only son, Jesus Christ, a part of himself, a part of the Holy Trinity to us and to our world, to say what he said, to do what he did, is the most fantastic event to ever take place in the history of the world. The story of God's intervention onto this planet that he created for us, whom he created, we call that the gospel, God's story. It means good news. In each of the four accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels come to life. They are the records of this, this good news that we're so excited about. They are sharing uh, an eyewitnesses and, and secondary witnesses accounts to Jesus Christ. And when we come into this vital contact with Jesus, when Jesus gets in our boat and we know he's in the boat, it's undeniable that he's in the boat. We know we have come face to face with the Holy God. Amazing things happen. We cross from death to life. The old goes away, the new has come. In short, the gospel shows us that God loves us and that God cares for us, that we are not alone. He hasn't wound this thing up and just let it go willy-nilly. God has come to to reconnect us with himself, with a holy God, with ourselves, and with one another. What God has done for us, he calls us then to share with others, to share with each other, to share with others. Jesus calls us to go fishing for people. Like those disciples in the boat that day, we we are called to put the boats of our lives into deep waters, uncomfortable waters, to put nets down, anticipating a catch, something that we cannot do ourselves. The big theological word for all of this is called evangelism. It is a core belief and part of the DNA of who we are at Benaral Christian Fellowship. It's a word that may sometimes put people off a bit. Because we have seen it as a lot of things within the church. We have seen it and its abuse. We have seen evangelism with agenda. But evangelism is a good word because it means announcing good news. That's what it means. An evangelist is one who announces good news. The Presbyterian Book of Order lifts up the importance of evangelism by saying this. God sends the church and the power of the Holy Spirit to call people everywhere to believe in and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to invite them into the community of faith to worship and serve the triune God. That's a great book definition of evangelism. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm a little simpler. I like the cookies on the bottom shelf so I can reach them. 
And a definition of evangelism that I ran across a couple of years ago says this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I like that. Because I think so many times when we talk about evangelism, we somehow think about us helping those poor people down here. Or those people that need Jesus. When the reality is, there is no us and them. It's just us. We're all beggars in need of a holy God. Some of us just know where the food is. I think most of us understand that Christianity is to be shared. I think we get that at our core. Most of us would agree to the, to the high level importance our faith should have in our lives. And, 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 and we know where we are and we know where we aren't. And we know that Christianity traveled worldwide because somebody told somebody else who sold somebody else. And each person heard, like the person who told them. And they trusted in God. And they started exercising in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in faith. And, and we know how faith spreads. We know that Jesus Christ is the first thing that ever went viral. And still does. The church is not dying. Church. Don't believe that. That's not true. Some of the expressions of church, in particular in the West, and let's be real honest, in the United States, maybe they are. But the church, capital C, Jesus Christ, the church is on the move and it is growing. It is spreading. But when it comes right down to it, if I'm going to be honest, I'm so often reluctant. I'm so often reluctant to tell another person about what has become so important to me. Maybe sometimes I've been talking to somebody at a party or about football or about politics, those things that we get really riled up about. Or nothing in particular. In other words, I heard this word from my brother-in-law, sitting around having a great non-versation. I like conversations, don't you? Hmm. Maybe we stumble upon someone who, who needed our kindness and compassion, uh, who needs to hear a word from the Lord, who needs to hear about Jesus, and ah, just would rather not be bothered. Too often we think. I don't know if that's my gift. I'm not one of those kinds of believers. My faith is private. I think I would disagree with you. Your faith isn't private. Your faith is very personal, but it's never meant to be private. We grow in community. And if that rubs you the wrong way, welcome to the family. Frederick. Buchner, a Presbyterian minister, author, writes in, in Telling Secrets this book about teaching a class at Harvard Divinity School. Okay? By disposition, Buchner is quite shy himself, but in this class, he's trying to be personal. He's trying to tell the class about his faith, how he's tried over the years to express it, failures in that. At the same time, he's trying to get the class to talk about their own faith these seminary students. But no one's biting, no one's replying, no one says a word. So finally, in frustration, Buchner said, you remind me a lot 
of dead fish lying on, lying on ice at the store with round blank eyes. One fellow, one brave fellow finally pipes up and said, the reason I don't say anything about what I believe in is that I'm afraid it will be shot down. I imagine that honesty speaks for a lot of us. We want to say something. We really do believe. The gospel has changed our lives. It has grabbed us and it has turned us into a direction that maybe we were not thinking we would ever go. But we're uncomfortable telling someone else for we fear we look silly or we receive a, a put down. It's very real. I had this exact experience a week ago. Riding my motorcycle. And sitting around at the end of the day talking about motorcycles and talking about riding, having a great non-versation. Then it starts to get real. And there I am, isolated. I think we need the courageous perspective of Paul. As he opens his letter to the Romans, which we heard earlier, Paul begins this most comprehensive explanation of the gospel with, with this expression of love to those in Rome. He describes his yearning to reach Rome, to meet them face to face. He lets them know that he prays for them regularly, for, for them asking God that he has, has been allowed to come to them. Because you see, he has this great need to be mutually encouraged by them. And I think there's something to this mutual encouragement. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Romans chapter 1. The context of mutual encouragement is essential for sharing faith. The world is full of discouragers. The world is full of curmudgeons. You guys remember the Muppet show? You remember those two old Muppets up there in the, in the box seats? The world is full of those dudes. They're everywhere. But everyone needs to be encouraged and built up, not torn down. Because you see, everyone, if we truly believe the gospel, if we truly believe the word of God, everyone is created in the image of a holy God and designed by him who knit us together in our mother's womb to be in right relationship with him. And encouragement is a gift that we all can give. Often a word of praise or thanks or appreciation has kept someone going. My youngest son reminded me of this through his mother, my wife, yesterday. Dad sure is a lot more encouraging to the girls playing soccer and the goalkeeper than he is to me. Ouch. Everyone needs a word of encouragement. And Paul encourages the Romans. 
Have we ever considered that the good news about Jesus Christ is the most encouraging word in the world? It's not fake news. It's not bad news. It is the good news. Not about putting down or shooting down. Not an agenda. The gospel is about building up and building up in love. The love of Jesus. We love because he loved us first. You see, Jesus loves us very much. And if he were standing right here, he would show us and he would tell us how much. And Paul is not ashamed to share. Why? Because he has come to believe the gospel for what it is. The very power of God in us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. See, Paul is eager to spread the good news because he has experienced the power in his own life. He knows he's a beggar. And he knows he's found food. From his background as a pious Pharisee and a keeper of the law of Moses, Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. And many times since, the liberating power of God is, is working in his own life. The Greek word for power is dumanus, from which we derive, derive the word dynamite. Paul has experienced this dynamite for himself, this, this faith in Jesus, this power. Not simply a nice idea, not simply some great writing, not simply some subjective philosophy for coping with, with slings and arrows that come at us. But God for real has come in power to free us, to open us, and to enable us to live the life full and forever that we were created to be. That's salvation. And it's for everybody. Everybody. Sophisticated Greeks. Illiterate barbarians. Mover and shaker Romans. All may now receive the very righteousness of God. And Paul came to believe that getting this message out that, that so people can hear it and respond in faith is the most important thing he can do with his life. Paul is not ashamed of it. I'm coming to believe and, and, and have suspected for a while that the most powerful moments that our church ever experiences comes when people share their faith with one another, when we share our stories with one another. That's powerful. Because we're encouraged by each other by seeing a holy God grabbing us and moving us. Whenever new folks come, whenever a Bible study gets real and it gets vulnerable, real, When folks profess truth in, in gospel moments, something wonderful happens. Each person has different routes that we've come to this, this relationship with the living and the holy God, Jesus. Some of our, 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 our journey has been rough. For others, maybe not so much. But each is profound 
because this holy God has personally sought each and every one of us out and continues to do so. Not so that we can somehow shell it up and say, well, my faith is private. It's just about me. No, it's not. We are put in a community for a reason. I need you. I need you to bust out of your shell of being private. You can be personal, but I need you and you need me because we need each other. We need to quit playing church and be the church because we need it. This community needs it. Banner Elk needs it. Encouragement. I need to hear your story. And you need to hear mine. Faith sharing begins in encouragement, not fear. And it goes on in encouraging others and others and others. It's a story that you and I can share. It's common ground. It's what builds us up and what causes us to love each other. One of the old hymns says, if, if you can't preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, then you can tell the love of Jesus and say, he died for us all. One Sunday morning, Aldous Huxley, the famous 19th century agnostic, who somewhat ironically died the exact same day that C.S. Lewis did it, was staying with friends. His host left for church. He declined to go. Went for a walk. And walking out in the village, he encountered a simple fellow who lived nearby. Who, like the Huxleys, was on his, the Huxley's host, excuse me, was on his way to church. Huxley, the agnostic, this writer, this thinker, brilliant man said to this fellow, hey, instead of going to church today, will you sit down with me and tell me why you're a Christian and what your faith means to you? The man said, oh, but you could demolish all of my arguments in a minute. Huxley said, I don't want to argue with you. I have no intention of doing so. I simply want to hear your story. So the man stayed with him. For hours. And told him the story of his faith journey. Years later, Huxley would write, I've met a man, and he is a true believer in the Lord. Friends, you have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. We have stories to tell. It's not about arguing or proving or defending. Can we quit proving and defending? Can we just tell our story of how we were once a beggar looking for food and now we found some? I was lost and now I'm found. Jesus and the Holy Spirit can do everything else. God will lead us to take a risk to, to share our stories because someone needs to hear your story. We need to hear your story. Will we be bold enough to ask God for an opportunity to be an encourager in the faith? 
Romans 1, 11 through 12. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Amen. And amen.